with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. And in today's program, we'll talk about OECD's decision to slash its global growth forecast for 2023, and what are the key dangers that could sink the world economy. And now, let's begin with our top story. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, has cut its forecast for the global economic growth. Well, its forecast for the world economic growth this year remains at three percent. Its prediction for next year is only two point two percent, and this is a revision down from a forecast in June of two point eight percent. It says the U.S. economy would slow from growth of one point five percent this year to only zero point five percent next year. It also warns that many European countries may face a recession next year. So, how will the geopolitical tensions, the COVID-19 pandemic, and the U.S. Federal Reserve interest rate hikes impact the world economy? For more on this, I'm joined by Chu Qiang, Assistant Director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University of China. So, hello, Professor Chu. Thanks for your time. Hi. Good、and、to meet you again. Yeah, and Ina Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, thanks for joining us, Ina. Good to be here. So, first of all, why has the OECD cut its forecast for the global economic growth, Ina? And what's your understanding of the economic situation we are facing today? Well, it, it's not good. I like to remain optimistic, but the the fact is that、uh, between the miscalculations、uh, in, in Ukraine. Uh, the pandemic,、uh, the massive amounts of stimulus that were poured in at the same time as increasing debt,、uh, food shortages, climate change,、uh, not paying attention. I mean, less than half the world has been has received their first inoculation.、Uh, these things are all kind of weighing at the side. And so, Chu Qiang, so what's your understanding of the current economic situation that we are facing today in the world? Well, I think OECD. They does have a、uh, they do have a very、uh, a persuasive point of view.、Uh, just to look at the whole situation right now, we're facing we're facing a major setback in the、uh, current two decades、uh, against the background of uh, affluent uh, you know a globalization of our economy. But right now, if you take a look at the Ukraine crisis, if you take a look at the energy price, and also yesterday we've been seeing a, basically a sabotage on a Nord Stream pipeline. And also the whole、uh, election situation in Europe and in America, and we do have all the reason to believe that OECD they does feel something, and、uh, and for sure I would like to、uh, underline that is in China we are still in the Far East, that we are far away from basically all the turmoils, but in Europe in OECD countries they probably can feel something out of the air, you know the people's feeling the passion. Of the people and also、uh, the feeling of the whole economy, they can feel that, and then they can read into the numbers and find the trail. And I think, based on their feeling, intuitions, and the numbers and、uh, analyze, 
I think they understand something we don't know. And we will talk about the Europe in the latter half of the show, but we'll first uh, talk about uh, you know the U.S. economy. So, uh, Chi Chiang, actually, the OECD has forecast the uh, U.S. economy will slow from 1.5% growth this year to only 0.5% next year. So why such a economic slowdown? Well, I think there are many reasons for economic slowdown. Uh, first of all, in the first half of the year, a high rising price in the uh, commodities and the energy actually are eating away the profit that the, all the corporates are making in the United States. And also the human resources cost is also rising very, very quickly. I think there are many reasons behind that. Uh, one thing is that uh, the fiscal spending of the U.S. government is basically out of limit. Uh, they've been issuing too much of the checks to people out of nowhere uh, to save their livelihood for sure. We understand, and that's probably correct. But if you're losing the discipline of the fiscal spending and you're going to add a lot of trouble into your debt and the pressure on the government. And of course, another thing is the control of the pandemics. And uh, we've been reading into the uh, Bureau of Labor's and the MBER of the USA, uh, their data their own data. They've done a magnificent investigation. They find out even currently, because of the pandemic, they're losing directly like 14 to 15 percent of the human labors. And if you're talking about the indirect loss of the post, probably it's going to be 20 percent, which means if you are getting a fever while not dying, of course not dying, but if you're getting a fever, you're not going to work in a, uh, in a cafe, you're not going to work in a restaurant, or your children got sick and you have to attend to them. So you cannot work as well. So this kind of loss is magnificent. Mm. So based on all that and also conflicts so, uh, due to the shrinking demand, mm. so their economy are slowing down. Mm. So Aina, so what's your estimation of the U.S. economy this year and next year? And also the Federal Reserve just hiked the interest rate uh, you know, recently and policymakers have also signaled that uh, by early next year they expected to have raised the uh, interest rate much higher than they had projected in June. So why do they feel the need to keep hiking the interest rates? Well, it's, it's all about inflation. Uh, the Fed sees its primary role as uh, controlling it, and it's out of control. Unfortunately, uh, they're in a situation where they're trying to uh, fight supply-side um, inflation using uh, you know, demand-side tools. It doesn't work. Uh, you know, I don't eat less, and I don't con- you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to stop heating my house or air-conditioning my house because uh, you know they, the Fed changes its rate. Necessities are different from choices. Uh, the Fed is very good with its policies. They can affect choice economy. Those are you know things that you want, but maybe you don't have to buy. But it does has no effect on necessities, and that's what we're seeing here uh, between the logistics, the oil prices, and the food uh, issues. You're seeing a, a real uh, downside to this. Um, and I, what I don't understand is it's been fairly consistent. Uh, they keep raising rates, mm. yet the economics, uh, everybody across the board is revising growth down, and they don't seem to care. Now, obviously, we've talked about he's trying to bankroll some, uh, some of the rate for when they think the economy is coming out, when they think it's hit bottom, when they think inflation has petered out then they want to have some room to reduce rates to reinflate the economy. But it's going to be very hard. You know, as my colleague has said, you know, there's massive debts out there. There's incredible uncertainty that's preventing business from getting involved. They don't want to take risks. And, you know, right now what the Fed is doing is 
exporting global inflation everywhere. Every time they raise their rates, they're forcing other countries to do the same. Mm. And as a result, pushing the entire world into recession. It's very sad. Mm. So, Chi-Chang, actually, some economists uh, say that they think the Federal Reserve's aggressive interest rate hikes will lead over time to job costs, you know, rising the unemployment and the full-blown recession later this year and early next year. So what's your take on this prediction? Yes, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think it's going towards that direction. It's just a matter of to what extent. And I totally with, agree with my friend Einar here. And uh, I explained why there's inflation, and Anna just explained how it's going to evolve into. And I think he's right about this is a supply-side problem, but we're using a demand-side solution. It's like you're telling people, okay, the food currently is too expensive. And the king said, okay, if it's expensive, it means we're in a shortage. So let's bury out all those people. If there are less mouths, and then the food will be enough. It's going to be cheaper. So this this ridiculous example basically reflected what we're going through. So uh, in order to control the inflation, the probably U.S. government is going to hike up the interest rate. Uh, they say they say it by themselves mm. it's going to be 4% or 4.5% by the end of this year. Mm. And if next year is not going to be controlled, and probably it's going to be more than 5%. Uh, probably you are not uh, very sensitive about this number. Just let me tell you, mm. how much industry or walks of life, they have pure profit of more than 5%, risk-free, very stabilized, very, very few. I can tell you, it's, it's going to be more than 5% of the interest rate. You put your money in the bank and you get 5% for sure, stably. Mm. And a lot of people will shut down their shop and then put their money in the bank. And more people will lose their job. And more industry is going to die. So we're going to walk into the no man's land, some, mm. somewhere we never know. Mm. So, Aina, 4% or 4.5%. So, would this be too much? And how would the U.S. economy react to this additional rise? Well, I'm going to agree with you, John. It's already too much. Uh, adding fuel, gasoline to a dumpster fire isn't going to make it go out. Um, you know, and I, and I think that's a good analogy. I mean, the Fed thinks, well, you know, there's, there's so much fuel in the dumpster. If we burn it all out quickly, it'll go away. But that's not how economies work. And the fact is that, you know, the U.S. is connected to the enti- entire globe. What the U.S. sends out in terms of this global inflation comes back to the United States. It is not uh, reprieve. I mean, right now, and, you know, U.S. companies are really having a tough time if they're doing any overseas business. They're really impacted. These strong dollars are not helping them. They're not being able to return profits. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you have stagflation. Yeah, you know, no companies are earning anything. So you put your money in the bank, but you, you can't keep it in the bank forever because you're actually losing money. If inflation's at 8.5% and you're earning 5%, you're losing 3.5% a year. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a really uh, down uh, bad situation. What is necessary is for governments to come together and come to uh, come up with an overall global plan in order to combat this. This idea that the U.S. can solve its own problems, they don't have to worry about anybody else, Europe can do the same, is nonsense. Mm. And so, Aina, we are talking about this U.S. economy, but how will it affect the Biden administration's midterm election, do you think? 
It won't. Actually, he's uh, riding a little bit of a high right now. We're getting very close to November. Uh, I don't think that anything's going to change right uh, right now. Uh, U.S. Uh, markets continue to spend. Uh, gasoline prices have come down. And that is kind of an in-your-face uh, situation for most Americans. Mm. And Xu Qiang, actually, the U.S. Federal Reserve interest rate hike and other major central banks, of course, have to uh, follow suits. And uh, we've seen the ECB, the uh, Bank of England, the Reserve Bank of Australia, and the Bank of Canada have, you know, carried out some, you know, significant rate increase in recent weeks. But how close are we to a potential global recession? Okay, I think we are in a global re- recession right now. Basically, the situation in Europe is uh, not very... You're not going to be happy to see that. Just look at the protests. People walk on the street and everything. If the economy is fantastic, I don't believe this is going to happen. Well, just take a look. Recently in Europe, uh, they have to follow up and raise up uh, their interest rate and hence to save their exchange rate. But they have to do so. Because mm-hmm. they're doing so, they die now, but they can probably live longer. Uh, you see, the, the Bank of England, they've decided to do reversely because they're not part of the European Union anymore. So they decided to live first and probably die later. So they didn't follow suit. And uh, the forex rate for the sterling pound are, dro- are dropping dramatically as well as their uh, treasury uh, bond. So for Europe right now, they've been caught in the middle. Uh, there's no sweet spot right now. Uh, the, whether they follow suit or not, they're going to be in a recession. Uh, if it's not now, it's going to be later. So I think it's going to be a tough time for them. Mm. And Aina, so the IMF data recently shows that the lending to the economically troubled economies or countries has hit a record high this year at the end of August. So how concerned are you? about the debt issue globally, and which countries will be most hotly hit? Well, there's an old joke. I'm not concerned about the debts. I'm concerned about the repayments, and that's really mm. where we're at. I mean, uh, the, the world is in a global recession. Uh, these countries have nothing. They're going to have to spend their money on necessities. Look at Sri Lanka, so many other places. Uh, they need food and energy and water before they're going to start uh, repaying debts. Uh, it's necessary to do this kind of lending, but quite frankly, where is it? Where is the money going to come to pay it back? Uh, you know, most uh, Europe and America always screams whenever China provides uh, money to for infrastructure. Infrastructure is the key to develop the economies. They say it's uh, debt trap diplomacy. Well, what do you have today? Europe is lending money to these countries, not on great terms, and they're expecting you know, to repay. That is real debt trap diplomacy. When you're creating a situation where there's no hope of paying it back and therefore you have leverage over that country, as opposed to trying to help that country uh, create an economy that can stand alone and thereby repay its debts. That's mm-hmm. the major difference that we see here today. Mm. So, Chu Qiang, so what do you think about the debt issue and uh, why the IMF are so much concerned about that? Well, uh, if I take a look uh, right now, uh, U.S. government uh, debt is basically over, uh, it's basically breaking the roof. It's over the ceiling. And, uh, you know, uh, the best performer used to be the Germany. Uh, the Germany, they say, oh, okay, our public debt should not cross the line of 3% of our GDP. Mm. But right now, this line has been far gone, has been left behind. 
because if you take a look at the, uh, the exploded pipeline of the gas, high rising is like 10 times higher of the price of natural gas in Germany. And uh, everything says, okay, this country, if they cannot borrow debt, they probably cannot survive this winter. But the thing is, they still require, the ECB still require Germany to raise up the interest rate and also hike up the forex rate. So uh, if the whole situation keeps on, I mm. think uh, you, uh, the European Union also is going to walk into a uncharted water and nobody knows what's going to happen next. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Xu Qiang, the Assistant Director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University of China, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll look at the European economy and the UK's plan to carry out £45 billion of debt finance tax cuts. Stay with us. Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoyed the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Today we are talking about the global economy. And now let's take a look at the Europe. So Aina, the OECD was particularly pessimistic about the outlook in Europe. So how will the energy crisis in Europe affect its economy? Or, you know, how will it change the Eurozone economic landscape? And how are different countries deal with it? Well, let's look at this from a very simple view. I'm a businessman. I'm in mm. Germany or France or whatever, and, and I'm going to produce things. But to do that, I need energy, and I also need to have a labor. Uh, so let's say I have my machinery and my shop all set up. I'm no longer internationally competitive. I'm located in Germany or in France or any of these countries. I cannot uh, produce a product if there's a certain uh, percentage of energy involved in it. Because it's, it's just, even if I produce it, I can't sell it at a profit. So these companies have to look elsewhere, because this is not going to be a short-term situation. We're looking two to three years, maybe until 2027. So at that juncture, you're seeing a host of the uh, companies, especially from Germany, looking at places uh, in the East, uh, China, for every one country, and this was put out by the EU Chamber of Commerce, for every one company that's looking at getting out of China, eight companies from Germany are looking at how they can get into this market and how they can produce here, because it's a low-cost, stable production area with a large market. And so, uh, Xu Qiang, actually, the OECD was especially gloomy about Germany. So what will happen to German's economy and its high-end manufacturing sector, do you think? Well, you have to understand the whole European Union, the Eurozone's economic growth model, uh, mm-hmm. It's basically uh, based on uh, two wheels. One is the pr- uh, productivities of Germany, France, and Italia, and also the energy from Russia. So everybody have a handshake under the table for the past two decades. And this model runs just pretty well. And with the made in Germany, with the made in France, and with the cheap energy from Russia, the uh, European Union uh, kept in a solidarity and they keep growing. So everybody's life is going to be fine. But right now, this balance has been uh, shattered. Mm. Uh, everybody sees uh, that this bondage of energy and uh, productivity has been right now interrupted. And especially for Germany. 
Germany have more than 60% of the energy supply have to come from the natural gas and oil. And among this share, mostly are coming from Russia. And very little share comes from the Middle East and from the Norway. And especially, Germany is not a Nordic country. Uh, so their uh, natural gas did not rely on Norway's gas supply. They rely on Germany and also not like France. France has the nuclear power, which is also banned to zero in Germany. Germany has zero uh, nuclear plant working right now. And the Germans have very, very rich resources in coal, but also for the green purpose, they banned the use of this share as well. So, But also there's unfortunate news that Germany is the number one GDP and productivity in the mm. European Union. So if this supply cannot just keep up and the, the wheels of the European growth will just be cut by half or more than half. Mm. So that's the reason why people worried about Germany the most. Mm. So, Aina, I would also like to talk about the UK. The IMF has recently actually uh, launched an attack on the UK's plan to carry out its 45 billion pounds of debt finance tax cuts. So tell us, what are the main points of this fiscal package of the UK? And why is the least trust government has such a plan now? Well, this trust is, is going back to the Ronald Reagan era, you know, when he said the trickle-down theory, that if you give tax cuts to the rich, they will then uh, invest and create more wealth. Well, in this particular climate, they're not doing that. What they're, they're, they're not investing in any kind of manufacturing. They're simply taking money that is given to them uh, and that is going to be put onto the public debt, and they're very happy about it. But I think the important thing here for people to take away is that psychologically you've seen a major shift from wealth that was concentrated on making more money to wealth that is concentrating on keeping its money. So it's a much more defensive attitude. You start talking to fund managers, wealth managers, they're always talking not about how you know, well, we, we have to manage our money, we have diversification of our portfolios, et cetera, et cetera. And I say, well, what about, what are you interested in? How are you going to make uh, something better? He says, oh, we don't do that anymore. That was when the family-owned businesses, we sold that off. Now we just diversify. So there's an important psychological uh, change in the world today that's very defensive. Mm. And this is going to have repercussions further down the line. Mm. So, Chiang, some say Liz Trust want to learn from Margaret Thatcher's approach. So, but how different is the situation? Well, the situation is the UK is not the UK anymore. Uh, the UK, well, when they still have the hold of a lot of resources and uh, they have a larger say in the international affairs, and when their Royal Navy can still make an influence, but this time it's whole different. European Union are replacing UK in the West Europe as a larger political influence. And also, uh, United States are dominating the, basically the Anglo-Saxon English-speaking alliance a group. And also, um, sterling pound and uh, the influence of the currency is much less than before. And uh, at that time, sterling pound has more credit. Just let me tell you, in UK right now, their foreign reserve of US dollars is less than 1,000, uh, sorry, 100 billion US dollars. Um, that's very, very less. Consider Japan have uh, basically uh, one trillion uh, U.S. dollars of foreign reserve, which means when the turmoil comes, Japan well can still tough through the whole changes, but the U.K. doesn't have enough 
of the uh, Foreign Reserve to talk it through. The reason why is because the、uh, UK think they can have they have the sterling pound, which is also a very important international reserve currency. They think I can print sterling pound.、Mm. What do I fear of? But this time it's different. Probably trust. Never imagined the sterling pound after she announced that the debt borrowing plan can drop to that low.、Mm. So he, she underestimated the whole situation, the power of the currency, the power of the country's influence. So this time is really different.、Mm. And Ina, so can you tell us why implementing the tax cuts in the UK at this point could stoke the、uh, soaring inflation? Well, it's. Because it's not doing anything; it's adding debt, and、uh, quite frankly,、uh, just transferring money from those who are in need to those who don't need it.、Mm. Um, and what does this mean? That means that the average person is getting shafted twice. They're not getting an answer for what they need, which is more jobs and income. So,、uh, Chu Chang, so do you think the tax cuts will, you know, disproportionately benefit the high-income earners and increase the inequality? Oh well, I do believe this is going to happen because every time、uh, when a tax cut comes,、um, no matter what,、uh, in Europe,、uh, in America, in Latin America, every time when government pulls out that uh, uh, policy, uh, this is a sure result. But、uh, Thatcher used to do that because she believed that、uh, if I do the tax cut, I can empower the private sector. So the private sector, which、uh, was more efficient、uh, per se. So they can have more resources to purchase the state-owned asset. So to make the whole system more effective, that was the plan. But right now, the situation for the trust is very, very different from、uh, Madam Satchel. It's very different right now because the gap is already very, very large. And also, UK is very largely per,、uh, privatized than、uh, Satchel's time. Mm. So、uh, the leeway or the potential space for UK right now is much limited than before. So the tax cut on one hand will surely boost up the gap between the poor and rich, and also the rich after they get the tax rebate, they wouldn't have that much of the、uh, dynamical power to save the nation's economy or to make the things more efficient. The problem is you just put the money in the bank, save it, and、uh, wait until the next good moment to come. Mm. So, Ina. So today we talk about the global economy and the worldwide、uh, market. So, is there any silver lining still there? Well,、uh, you know, I, I, th- there is. For if you have money, I mean, cash is going to be king. What you're going to see is a, a, a markdown of assets, companies, you name it,、uh, land. Everything will go down when the、uh, recession or possibly depression hits. Uh, a lot of、uh, people will be trying to time it and to use you know, the cash that they have to buy it, and that's exactly what will happen in the UK. If you give all this money to these wealthy families, they know that this is not the time to buy into anything. That's why giving money to more wealthy individuals is not going to help the、mm. global economy. Well, we've been speaking with Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Xu Qiang, the assistant director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University of China. So that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.